from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Nobody seems to be doing their job. They came in and said, there's no problem here. Put into place a policy that's consistent with what has been recommended by the Justice Department for 25 years, which is don't be pushing down on a person who is totally restrained. I'm Sarah Fenske. St. Louis is set to get a new city councilor this week. Mayor Tashara Jones says she'll make that announcement. And journalist Bill Freivogel reports today that the announcement could indicate a change in how the city handles police abuse lawsuits. That's the subject of his latest story. It's part of a project on police accountability that involved a dozen college journalists and was funded by the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting. The newest chapters are live right now at stlpr.org. And Bill Freivogel joins us today to discuss them. So, Bill, welcome. Hi. So, you reported today in this story, the city getting a new counselor isn't just about a change in personnel. It's also, in some ways, a change in policy. How so? Well, I, I found out about this when I was talking to Jared Boyd, the, the mayor's uh, chief, uh, chief of staff, and I was trying to get them to explain, you know, why it was that the mayor and the previous mayor were saying publicly that, you know, the police uh, in the George Floyd case had, you know, suffocated him while he was uh, being restrained. Meanwhile, the city count, the current city councilor was arguing uh, in the courts that it's just fine for police officers to put uh, pressure on a restrained individual. The individual in this case uh, w- was a young man who had been uh, arrested and was uh, his his hands were handcuffed. He, he was in a cell and the police holdover. His legs were shackled and there were six officers on top of him and he died within 15 minutes. <laughs> um, and um, his, his name is, uh, this was 2015, his name was Nicholas Gilbert. And um, so, so the city was arguing in the courts all the way up to the Supreme Court, uh, you know, this is reasonable police policy to be pushing down on a on a prisoner who is resisting, you know, as George Floyd supposedly was, and mm-hmm. as uh, as this individual uh, was, uh, it's it's perfectly uh, acceptable police policy to be pushing down on those uh, on a person under those circumstances. Even though, as far back as 1995, the Department of Justice had said, "No, you shouldn't do this because people die under these circumstances." And you're a journalist. You're also a lawyer. You saw a real disconnect between what the city was saying in cases like George Floyd and how they're fighting these cases. Yeah, exactly. So I was trying to get uh, a, a response from them. You know, why are you saying this publicly and saying this other thing in court? And uh, they put me off and put me off for a couple of weeks before I eventually got to the chief of staff. And he said, hey, you know, this is something that we're looking at and we're going to have a new city councilor. The new city councilor is going to look at these uh, police cases and uh, reconsider what the city's position is, particularly in this particular case. And, um, uh, and no longer will just the city's bottom line, how much it ends up having to pay out for bad police conduct, that bottom line is not going to be the sole, uh, you know, the sole issue in wh- 
what the city says in court. You know, we're going to look at the make sure that the legal policy is in line with the public policy that the mayor is advocating. It's interesting. This is a direct quote from what Jared Boyd told you in this story. The new city councilor is going to be given a mandate to reconsider what winning looks like. It's not to say we shouldn't be cognizant of city resources, but that can't be the only thing. So as a city resident, does this mean we could take a big financial hit? <laughs> well, I guess I guess there could be a bigger fi- financial hit. But, you know, I mean, if you take, take this case, I mean, what makes sense in this case, uh, just uh, I would say as a, as a lawyer uh, more than as a journalist, is, you know, settle the case and, and put in place a policy. Well, there's no policy now. There's no police policy now. But what to do under these circumstances? Put into place a policy that's consistent with what has been recommended by the Justice Department for 25 years, which is don't be pushing down on a person who is totally is restrained. Who's already restrained? Yeah. Well, so this case, this uh, this Nicholas Gilbert, he was a 27-year-old uh, homeless man, and we discussed the lawsuit filed by his family on this show in July. Um, and I talked to his lawyer. This is Kevin Carney Jr. Uh, what had happened at that point, and actually, Bill, you should probably get us up to speed on the legal detail details here. The Supreme Court had kind of jumped in on this, didn't have oral arguments, but did come in with a ruling here. Right. They issued a decision without having had oral arguments. They issued a decision in June. And their decision was to disagree with the Eighth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals, the, the, the main federal court here in St. Louis. The Federal Court of Appeals said this behavior of the six officers on top of Gilbert was perfectly reasonable, no case. And uh, the Supreme Court said, you know, that's you, you ha- when courts are looking at what is objectively reasonable, that's the standard. It's a very forgiving standard for police mm-hmm. because it says don't look at this in 2020 hindsight. Uh, look at it through the police officer's eyes. But that even doing that, that the Supreme Court said, uh, you, you know, you have you it's you can't just say that any time a prisoner is resisting, that then officers can can p- pile on top even if he's restrained, and so Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, you got to look at it again. Yeah, so they sent this back to the appellate court, and so when I talked to the attorney for the family of Nicholas Gilbert, I asked, does this mean the city might be ready to try to settle this case? Here's what Kevin told me about that in July. The thing is, I've been shocked that the city has continued to pursue this, very frankly, um, through multiple administrations. Um, You know, the city has always expressed their outrage about what happened to George Floyd and, and things like that, but it, it's shocking to the family, at least, and that's we've talked about it with them a lot. That uh, they don't—they're not owning up to what happened in their own backyard. So that's it, a, that's problematic for us. It is interesting. I think we've seen a lot of statements from people, leaders in the city of St. Louis, who are upset about what happened to George Floyd, and there's some clear echoes here in this case. Um, does that seem like hypocrisy? It, Yes, there's no other way to put it. I mean, everyone agrees, and, and and it's right. They should express outrage about what happened to George Floyd, and other people around the country have had something similar happen. Uh, but but you have to look in the mirror and take a look at what's going on in your own city. You have to take a look at what your own police officers are doing and, and make some changes here. And so that is attorney Kevin Carney Jr. speaking to me on this show in July. Uh, Bill, you also talked to Kevin for your story that looks at, at these changes going on. Any update on that case? Well, he uh, he said I, I told him what what the the, uh, the mayor's office was saying, and he said he was glad to hear that, and he you know certainly hopes that this will lead to 
settlement discussions, and in particular, he, he noted uh, he really hopes it will lead to a, a, a specific policy in the police department about uh, not piling on top of a restrained prisoner under these circumstances. Mm-hmm. So this was one of two cases that you went in depth on um, in this story that's published today on the St. Louis Public Radio website. People can check that out at stlpr.org. That's by the journalist and attorney, Bill Freivogel, who's my guest today. The second case involved a man named Don Ray Clark. And this one um, may remind people of the no-knock raid that killed Breonna Taylor. Tell us a bit about this case. Well, th- th- this is a case that, as you say, involved a no-knock raid. It was uh, the the the, uh, the tactical unit that conducted this raid uh, had uh, had sought uh, uh, 25, 26, 27 no-knock warrants uh, and had gotten them all approved in advance. A lot of the language was very similar from one no-knock warrant to, uh, to a- another. Judges appro- approved the. Uh, uh, the raid. You know, a no-knock warrant is so, so supposed to be under circumstances where uh, it could be dangerous for the officer uh, to knock and and say, "I have a search warrant," uh, and instead you just go in. And 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 uh, and so the uh, no-knock uh, warrant in this case depicted uh, uh, Clark as being, um, you know, involved with drugs, involved in his house having been seen as a site of guns and drugs and the two adjacent houses as well. Uh, uh, as I say, it was approved. The police went uh, to the two uh, nearby houses and searched them. Then a line of 17 officers uh, lined up at the front door of, uh, he was called Pops in this mm-hmm. neighborhood, Clark. Uh, uh, and uh, this was at a time when he had already gone to bed. He lived in the front. He slept in the front room, uh, according to his family, so that his his youngest daughter, who is I believe eight, could have a bedroom. Mm. So what happens next is uh, doors knocked down, flashbang is thrown in. Um, police say someone opened fire. They uh, fired shots, and uh, he was killed. And they had said he had a criminal record. He didn't. Like, he did we not. know at least part of this affidavit was just flat out wrong. Right. And, you know, so it was. that's why it reminded people of the Breonna Taylor case. So this case hasn't gotten as much attention. I know there has been some local outlets have reported on this. It's been great to see some of them have pointed out some of the errors in this affidavit. But what I was reading in your story, which felt new to me, was that he was shot by a guy named Officer Nicholas Minasco, and that Minasco killed another citizen in a no no knock raid just a few months later that's right and he had earlier uh, killed another cis, uh, citizen in a different circumstances taken a picture and circulated amongst other amongst other officers I checked uh, just last weekend he uh, retired from the force um, in July so at least this guy's off the force. But these no-knock raids, these have gotten a lot of negative attention throughout the county, throughout the country. Um, other states, it, it seems like this is something that a lot of conservatives are against and a lot of liberals are against. This is an invasion of, of somebody's home, of their civil liberties. What is happening with this issue in Missouri? <laughs> well, uh, you're absolutely right, Sarah. It's been it, about five states, I think, have, uh, and municipalities have passed laws against no-knock raids. Uh, in, the, in the Missouri legislature, there was a bill to do so. Uh, and uh, as you say, uh, libertarian Republicans, 
uh, agreed with more you know, liberal Democrats on this, but the sheriff's um, lobby is really strong in, in the Missouri legislature, and they came in and said, no problem, there's no problem here. This, this hardly ever happens. Uh, and there was no bill passed. And they said this hardly ever happens. Um, you were referencing earlier just how frequently this had been happening, at least during this point of time, in the city of St. Louis. Right, right. Uh, and so, it, it yes, there, there's a whole unit of the St. Louis Police Department that's you know that that handles these these cases. Uh, and and there have been quite a number a number of fatalities involved. Uh, so it's 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 definitely an issue. I mean, the, so what happened in, in the no-knock legislation and the legislature reminds me of uh, what the sheriffs did when they were trying to reform the civil asset forfeiture uh, law. You know, where people can basically the officers can take people's cash from their uh, from their cars and and keep it even though they have not been charged with any crime mm-hmm. uh, that that has the same kind of uh, coalition of libertarian Republicans and liberal Democrats and sheriffs get shut that down every year too hmm. so you talked about these two cases and sort of the resonance with these national cases and now at least as far as city litigation goes it seems like they're going to be looked at under a different standard but you're also looking at the bigger picture here um, and that this is part of a bigger change this is something the the city of st louis mayor's office wants to do under something called the office of public accountability and this would be a brand new office in the city the idea would be to employ uh, civilian investigators to lead investigations into misconduct by police and corrections officials. Would that be a big change? That would be a big change, and I'm sure there'll be lots of opposition to it. The mayor's office said they've been working with senior members of the, the Public Safety Committee on the Board of Aldermen and, and feel like they're making uh, progress. So we'll see what, you know, what eventually comes of it. But civilian control of those investigations, civilians who have subpoena power, that would be that would be a big change. So part of what you looked at, though, I mean, you have these two stories up live today at stlpr.org, is that there have been a lot of reforms designed to bring more accountability. And in some cases, even these well-meaning reforms seem to have had just the opposite effect. Things are more mired <laughs> in different people being able to pass the buck. Do you have hope that, that finally things could change based on what you're hearing now from the mayor's office? Well, I have hope, but I, I have to admit, I was, as I looked at this, I was, I was surprised myself, even though this is an area I try to pay attention to, at how much the post-Ferguson reforms had failed. Mm. You know, the force investigation unit with, that was set up as a post-Ferguson reform to investigate po- uh, police killings, uh, you know, none of the, none of their they they have they have actually led to less information being released about police killings and withheld the names in in most cases. Uh, the oversight review board hasn't ever issued any subpoenas. Uh, they haven't reviewed any of the 21 killings between 2016 and through 2019 by the St. Louis Police Department. Um, and uh, 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 and Kim Gardner, to be on, you know honestly, I I sort of supported her in the past, but I mean she, her her review of the cases that the police have sent over to her uh, just hasn't gotten anywhere. Uh, if you talk to uh, I was talking to Emmanuel Powell, who's at Art City Defenders, who really pays attention to this, and and he's he's critical that 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 the Gardner's office hasn't you know gotten the job done. The families are involved in these cases are just you know sort of besides themselves. Nobody seems to be doing their job. 
Well, Bill Freivogel, um, this is, <laughs> boy, there's just a lot of reasons to be depressed here looking at all this, but it does seem like um, people are at least at this point, they're trying to take this on. They're saying things are going to change. You're going to stay on top of this story. Yes. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Sarah. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.